So how come everyone in the industry says flower and not weed? Like, how come no one like uses no one who legally? <laughs> question. I think it's just like uh, is it a stick? Is it a people, cultural? Yeah, exactly. Stigma? Like or nobody it calls it marijuana anymore. It's, they've they've changed the cannabis. Yeah, no, it's uh, just a stigma. When it first came out with the first twenty five licenses, people were making millions, right? I remember someone saying, "Oh, we were doing a hundred thousand dollars a day." Everybody saw that, and everybody jumped in, and then the Ontario regulation said, "Oh, we're gonna just open up." To everybody we went from 25 locations to 1500 locations in freaking ontario it was great in the beginning and then all of a sudden it turned pretty bad that a lot of dispensaries have shut down it's still a struggling business for a lot of people it's like if you overprice by a dollar or two the velocity of the sale decreases significantly significantly and if your product isn't consistent then you can basically forget that your brand's going to survive more than six seven months Founded in 2017, StartWell is Toronto's independent hub for innovators to collaborate. Our podcasts relate perspectives from the world's most diverse urban population to reflect unique insights into global business, media, and culture. All right, guys. Well, welcome to the StartWell podcast. I'm excited for this session because it's been a while since I talked to anyone about cannabis here on the StartWell podcast. Right. Uh, last time, I think it was Jay Rosenthal who was running a publication called The Business of Cannabis, which yes. then got sold and right he moved on. on to other things. Yeah. Um, and I haven't really surveyed, and I don't think our audience has really seen a survey of kind of the industry in a while. So I'm really excited to firstly jump in with an introduction. I'll let you guys introduce yourselves because I know off mic right now, we were talking about the, right. the myriad ways that you found yourself into this industry. Yeah. So you want to uh, start or you want me to start? Uh, I can go. go. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is Rahul. Um, I started in a regulated space in 2014. Uh, that was with NHP Consulting. We did pharmaceuticals, cosmetics, uh, you know, medical devices. And then, boom, Health Canada drops it uh, at the end of 2013 that, hey, cannabis is going to be legal. Mm-hmm. So we had few companies, Aurora, uh, Terry Booth initially reached out, Canopy guys reached out, hey, can you help us? Because we work with Health Canada on other regulated spaces, right? Mm-hmm. So it was an easier transition for us to, from consulting perspective, go from pharmaceutical cosmetics into co- cannabis. We, however, <laughs> did not think industry was real <laughs> and we didn't take on any of these clients. We legit missed the bus on the first 14 licenses that came into the industry. When they came, we thought they're going to get shut down. Like, there's no freaking way a G7 country is going to, you know, see Actually this through. Actually legalize. Exactly. You know, so. Recreationally legalize. Well, recreational wasn't even a question back then. It was right. just strictly medical. We were just coming out of those, you know, individual growers growing in their backyard into a bigger space for the proper patients. We had about 400 some thousand patients back then. Mm-hmm. Now the numbers have dropped on the medical side. But once we got into the cannabis, it sort of took off. We saw, you know, every random person that ever smoked it or thought about it. Like, you know what? This is a golden chance, a green gold, right? Mm -hmm. You know, they're putting their homes on mortgages. They're, you know, remortgaging or selling it, trying to get a license. Nobody had an idea that it's going to take three, four years to get a license. And you have to keep paying your, you know, uh, operational expenses while you're doing it. So it was interesting initially, but, you know, when we got into the game, 
it got so big for us within six months. We had to create a brand new company called Cannabis Compliance Inc. That was the biggest and the first full service cannabis consulting firm in mm -hmm. the world. We had clients all over. We opened up Australia market first. We did licensing in Colombia. We had Lazutu. We had German tenders. Like we were everywhere cannabis related. And that company was bought out by Deloitte, you know, so. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it was a great business. Uh, initially, idea was to be in a hammer and the chisel game, right? You don't want to be a gold miner. Right. Yeah. So it's been phew, 10 years now, man. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> Feels like haven't learned shit. <laughs> <laughs> Still learning every Still day. Still learning right? every day. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, this, yeah. this industry is amazing for that. Oh, well, I'm excited right. for you to share some knowledge, drop some knowledge yeah. from, from this experience of the last decade in this industry. Mike. Yes. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Introduce yourself. So man. I was in uh, advertising sales for 10, oh, more than that. I was with Patterson Outdoor for 12 years at the time. I had been with Zoom Media a couple of years before that. And the pandemic hit and out of home advertising went to yeah, shit no, pretty much, right? No one like was driving nobody on the was, highway Nobody was out bikes. anymore. And so, you know, six months into it, I got packaged out for my company. And I decided, hey, you know what? It's time to get out of Canada for a little bit. So I went to Costa Rica for five months. Oh, yeah, and while I, I was, that. Yeah, and while I was down there, um, myself and Raul had hooked up. I decided to get into brokering a little bit of cannabis. And so, you know, we were chatting, doing deals together, and an opportunity came up where I was looking to get a license and uh, to, to be able to do better broker deals. And an opportunity came up that a company in Mississauga that had a processing facility was looking for investors to come in. So we decided, Hey, you know what, why not? Let's, let's give it a shot. So we bought a company uh, called Green Gold in Mississauga and we picked up a couple really good clients right off the bat. We picked up, uh, Ghost, Ghost drops. drops. Cookies, cookies, you know, seven, seven leaf. Yeah. 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 And so these are all, sorry, the, the function of this facility was processing. So that means you, yeah. you buy from the, the grower and then you create, you productize. Right. Each, we just turn it into either uh flower packaging or pre-rolls. That was really what we were doing. We were packaging right. three and a half gram flower bags and we were doing thousands of pre-rolls. I got to pause you there. So how come everyone in the industry says flower and not weed? Like, how come no one like uses no one who <laughs> legally? Question. I think it's just like uh, is it a stick? Is it a cultural people, yeah, stigma? Exactly. Like, or is it illegal? Calls it marijuana no, no. anymore. It's, they've they've changed the cannabis. Yeah. No, it's uh, just a stigma. It's, it's, they're trying to destigmatize. You know, like uh, UFOs. Nobody wants to say UFOs. They're trying to say UAPs now. It doesn't sound as yeah, bad. Yeah, I heard that at Congress <laughs> exactly. hearing. It was like, what the so, hell's going same on? Same thing with weed, man. Nobody wants to say dope weed, you know? Yeah, oh, yeah. it's rebranding. So, That's yeah. crazy, man. Yeah. I'll say I'll say weed forever. Forgive me if I drop that word yeah. in this conversation. And, and so we were in Green Gold for about two years, and it was like, it was crazy because we had never had an operations background. We went from- Were you guys out there in Mississauga at the factory? Yeah, we yeah. were literally like the first couple of days, oh. we were- we're doing the, the actual pre-roll. You guys had hairnets like, on, we hair wearing lab, coats. lab coats on. And at one point we had probably 15 to 17 full-time employees. And then we had a temp agency that we would bring in as needed, another 15 employees. And we were putting out a ton of product. Dang. But a good quality product. I think that was the key part for us that we learned. Not everybody has same standards in the industry. So every company that you work with, We'll have a different standard. Sure. 
we just got lucky in a sense or unlucky in a sense. Our clients were following military standards. They're the highest standards for manufacturing anywhere. Mm -hmm. So we had to learn really fast how to produce at the highest level. How does regulation work for this kind of thing? Was it was there a dude that came around on Friday to like let everyone pee in a cup? <laughs> no, you could smoke as much cannabis as you wanted, yeah, but, but if we, legal, yeah. if you know, unfortunately, people that typically are smoking weed while they work are not that efficient, and yeah. so you know, we had. Uh, numbers that we had to hit on a regular basis. Yeah. And if we weren't doing that, we weren't able to hit the market, uh, to actually get product into the actual dispensaries and you would lose your clients that way. Right. So we had to be on top of things. Yeah. Manufacturing KPI is very, very important, right? Uh, there were three rooms always filled, uh, different projects, different strains, different clients, uh, work being done. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was interesting, man. Yeah. That was a learning curve to the max. So let's let's talk about the product line that you guys were, uh, that you inherited when so, you took it over and then how things changed while you were there. Well, mm. product line that we inherited, we didn't really inherit any like, product. Was it functional? When it you was, it? no, it was zero sales. There was nothing going oh, on. The guy had a like different a business model. He had just, he had the lab set up that we could do a number of different things. And we decided, you know, Rahul had, and, and our other business partner, John had been in the space for a while. They saw where the actual opportunities were. Hmm. Co-packing was a good opportunity. Yeah. What's that, so, sorry? Co-packing. Co so we were like white labeling in a sense for other clients and they were using our license to be able to produce excise and then ship it to OCS or, or any other markets. province. Okay. So you were an OEM producer. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But what, uh, and sorry, what again, product, what different SKUs or product lines did you J do? Just basic sticking joints. to, yeah, so different sizes of joints, yeah. right? And then different sizes of jars or, you know, flower bags that you pick up, you know, three and a half gram, seven gram, 14 gram. But we stuck to that dry flower processing. Okay. Because that's where we, it was easier to get oh, into. I see. It was easier to. So you literally buy the, like the wet leaves, whatever the, the plants pulled out of the ground and mm -hmm. you have to like clean them, cut them. No, no, we get it packaged, ready to go. It's already been trimmed. It's, oh, okay. it, and then we take it and we either separate it and we weigh it and then put it into a packaging and everything needs to be compliant with mm -hmm. the labeling or we grind it down and we turn it into pre-rolls. Yeah. Um, so we get the finished product, then we have to convert that into a finished product for consumers. So that was our only step. And did you, for the rolling side of things, was it like all machine done or did you have like a bunch and of dudes just kind of yeah, like. Yeah, it was, well, it's like, it's, it's a machine. We had a rocket, rocket box. box at the time, which is like a vibrating machine that you have all these cones that you drop in a hundred cones and then you would pour the grinded cannabis over top wow. and shake it to a certain point and then so that bring it out and weigh it. it. Yeah. Exactly. And, 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 you know, you have a variation of, uh, you know, uh, 5%, is it 5% on either well, five, side? Yeah. Um, so, you know, if you have a half gram joint, you can have 5% variation on the down weight and the up weight. Okay. So uh, you had to be precise and this was the thing. So the speed was, was key in here and, and just making sure that somebody that was actually pouring the cannabis in there was effective and efficient at doing it. So mm -hmm. that the first, hopefully the first round that you pull out was as close to the weight. Otherwise you got to keep adding to it and would slow everything down. Right. But we quickly realized that our operations skills were just not there. We had an operation manager. She was great. Uh, but in order to actually scale, the only way we could scale was add more employees to that. Mm -hmm. So then yeah. we ended up bringing in these two guys from the company that we're with right now. 
Uh, and these guys had confectionery background and operations. And Excellent. so we brought them in and showed them our processes and asked them, you know, what can we do to become more efficient here? And they laughed at you. They <laughs> said, you get out of here, give yeah, us the yeah, keys. Yeah, give us the, that's right. And uh, so in the, you know, and, and when we bought the company, in a sense, we were buying it to flip it, really. Flip okay. it really quick. Uh, idea yeah. was, you know, myself and John, we've been in the industry 10 years that we could bring in people that are interested in looking to purchase, which we had great interest in the first year. Mm -hmm. However, we learned very quickly, the deals in cannabis industry are so hard to close. There's so many different variations on regulation, compliance, your, uh, you know, working capital, there's operational stuff. There's so much to look at. It takes lawyers months to prepare a freaking uh, agreement. Hmm. And then you go back and forth. Uh, so that was a, <laughs> so wait, how much is, a, is of that is, is just business versus new operators involving themselves in business versus regulatory restrictions? I would say regulatory restrictions are about 40%, okay. but then I would say another 40% is the new people that are coming in that so have, they're like, they're not sure they've got some money because they're from some other industry yeah, and they want to invest. They're investors, but they're actually active investors for the first time. That's it. Okay. The, the idea there is good. You know, you invest money, you get involved, uh, you spend it properly, right? But people that have no idea running an operation, they could cost a lot of money sure. very, very quick, sure. right? One simple mistake could shut you down for months, mm -hmm. right? That's where the issue with the industry in generality is because not every operator is a good operator. There's mm -hmm. very few handful of companies that are actually fantastic mm -hmm. and they're making money. Like they're legit profitable companies that we don't hear about in cannabis industry. What happened then? So we, we, you know, we sold the company. Okay. We, uh, we had one of our clients that purchased the company and it took us probably about a year, year. and a bit. Like we had, Just to close we had, the deal. well, mm -hmm. yeah, they had, they, and they kind of dragged us along a little bit here and there. And, you know, they had, uh, come to us, I think in January it probably was and said, oh yeah, we're going to buy the company. And, you know, number of factors slowed things down. And so it, it took us, yeah, probably about a year to close the deal. Yeah. And wow. Yeah. yeah. It, and, but it was so like. You were operational and you were Yeah, business, it was operational. So. It was, it was a, a great learning experience. And then from there, you know, then we moved over to Wellcan. We moved over to, to some operators that actually knew how to run the operations a, a lot more effective and, yeah. and efficiently than we were. Yeah. Uh, and we came on as the business development arm, which was what we were good at. Right. And so. So what was Wellcan at that point as a company? So Wellcan uh, was a client of mine and Johnny. So we got them their license. So we knew what they were doing. Mm -hmm. uh, their idea was very innovative and unique product, which was THE chewing gum. Nobody has a chewing gum in chewing Canada. Gum, yeah. yeah. We have no traditional chewing gum manufacturer in Canada, let alone THC. Mm -hmm. We are the only company that actually manufactures CBD and THC gums in North America. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, there's no equipment in Canada. So they have to brought everything from Europe. All of our gum base and everything is coming from Europe because nobody has anything available here, right? So that was their unique idea. And that was the only yeah. product that they had in mind when we got them their license. While we were doing the license, he's like, listen, you've been in the industry. Would you be our sales arm? And that was back in 2018 that we had this conversation. Okay. So once we sold a green gold and we were looking at like, what are we going to do next? We like the industry. We want to stick around. Right. Welkin came up again, like, let's go have a chat with them. And they were great. Like, listen, 
we know what our lane is. We are operators. Yeah. We optimize our uh, processes. That's yeah. what we're good at. We don't want to do sales. That's your job. You guys know everybody. Go get business, right? So finding a partner who knows their lane very clear, that's where we're finding success this time around because right. not a single partner crosses over into anybody else's lane, you know? Yeah, I mean, in any business that's difficult, right? Is to try and like move from that kind of we're doing everything owner operator kind of approach yeah to like really getting you know niche down yeah niche that, down exactly yeah. and then and then we just we wanted to get away from just co-packing and we decided okay we're gonna start launching brands so we had uh one well, a guy by the name is mike as well and he had owned a bunch of dispensaries and had sold them and wanted to when you say get, a dispensary you mean like he owned a legal he had like four tokyo smokes that he had owned yeah and, oh i didn't even know those were franchises yeah yeah, yeah. initially, no, initially they were stores no no initially uh, when they first came into ontario from bc they were corporate store but as soon as yeah. they opened up the retail channel, yeah, they were initially franchised. Now so when that it was they, a coffee shop, it was a franchise. It was a coffee shop. It was a corporate store. Okay. Yeah. Because they were only at two stores here back then. And I think they only had four in BC. Okay. But as soon as they got into the cannabis retail, yeah. they franchised it. Yeah. yeah. The yeah. dispensary model, it was, you know, when it, when it first came out with the first 25 licenses, people were making millions, right? I remember yeah. someone saying, oh, we were doing $100,000 a day. Everybody saw that and everybody jumped in and then the Ontario regulation said, oh, we're going to just open up to everybody. And, you know, didn't put any restrictions on how close you needed to be to another dispensary. And so all of a sudden we went from 25 locations to 1500 locations so, in freaking Ontario. Let's spell that out a little bit for our, <laughs> our people out of province and out of country. Uh, yeah. In Canada, there was this race to legalization. Then all of a sudden, what, 2017, mm -hmm. maybe? 2018, October. Okay. Then all of a sudden, you know, people start, like you said, there in Ontario, there was a lottery system, which you applied to, and then you got awarded your license. And yeah. there was, like you said, what, 25, 25 original? 25 original. And that's across the whole province. We that's got right. a big province. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and so there was this appetite from the consumer's side to purchase at retail, and there was an undersupply. Yep. And then all of a sudden they open it up and the pandemic hits. And you have all of these like retail locations that were like, had gone belly up and half of the city in Toronto at least was like dead retail. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah. perhaps impetus for people to say, okay, great. Let's, let's sell weed. Let's sell weed. And then down at least Queen street, a street just not far from here for like, you know, for people that are out of, out of the city, this is like a major East West artery, typically old school retail, funky shops, fashion, cosmetics, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, suddenly all became weed, like every single store. Yeah. yeah and it was, was like ridiculous. 100, 100 <laughs> weed stores in a row. <laughs> you could get stoned anywhere you wanted on the street at yeah. any time. Yeah, and Just turn exactly. around and you'd see a new dispensary pop up. Yeah. And so, you know, it, it was, uh, it was great in the beginning. And then all of a sudden it turned pretty bad that, that dispensaries were losing money as opposed to making money. Yeah. And now I think we're at the point where you know, a lot of dispensaries have shut down, um, and the, and the strong are, are, are sticking around and the, yeah. you know, you've got bigger chains that have kind of merged together. And so it's, it's, it's still a, it looks like a struggling business for a lot of people. And, and I think, 
you know. The, well, let's break down that business model yeah. for a second, okay? Let's do the the, the napkin math on it. Mm-hmm. So, if I open a dispensary, obviously I have my fixed cost for operations. As if it's a coffee shop, mm-hmm. whatever it is, labor. I've got my utilities. I've rent. got my rent. Yeah, all that stuff, right? So let's say running cost for a thousand square foot on the cheap is let's call it even as low as ten grand. Yeah, a month. Yeah, leave aside my capex, which is my build out cost. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm taking over an old whatever shop. I'm just selling weed in it yeah. and I'm not, I'm painting it. You know? Well, let's not forget the inventory purchase, initial okay. inventory purchase. That's a big chunk. Okay. So let's, let's for, again, people that don't know how this works because it's a regulated industry with this weird OCS thing, the Ontario Cannabis Store. Store, store yeah. yeah. So provincially owned body yeah. that acts as the single first purchaser of product to then redistribute to end customers. Yes. Just like LCBO. And they have their markup on the product. Massive markup. Yes. Massive markup. Massive markup. So they mark up minimum 23% from what they pay us and what they sell to the retailer. So they're already making that. It's normally, I would like, you know, 25 to 30% right off the bat for the distribution. So yeah. even the end retailer who's now opened up their shop that's costing them 10,000 bucks a month minimum, mm-hmm. they have to pay a premium on the product that they're buying to sell to customer. Yes. And that same customer, am I correct in saying, can buy online from the supplier yes. and save that 23%? Well, no, the, the, what happens is the OCS marks it up to the dispensaries and, and then they the- mark it up to their own online store as well. Okay. But yeah, there's but the depending same on percentage more. Okay. Because so they're giving an advantage to retailers, even they're though just they're trying up to, yeah, that, yeah. Hey, we can come close to what you guys sell at your store that we're not going to undercut you by five bucks, okay. you know, because they were taking a lot of the chunk out of it. So as business. people, as end customers are not too fussed, let's say with, especially if they're repeat regular buyers with walking to a store and, you know, wasted time and all that drama of buying at retail and they want the convenience of online. How do retailers compete with OCS for online purchase? Well, yeah, initially you couldn't do the online purchase. That actually happened that you could actually buy it from the actual dispensaries and have it shipped to you about halfway, I think, through pandemic. the pandemic. Yeah. So originally does it was Uber only- Uber weed? And now it does, yes. Uber delivers weed. It yes. does now. In and, Ontario, and, Yeah, yes. and I don't know how many locations are doing it, but- when wow. I, yeah, yeah, when, when I. Hamilton, have, we know for sure. Right. They have, uh, and then, then they've got, and I've ordered it in Etobicoke and Toronto. So, you know, the, the convenience is definitely there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, at one point in time, OCS was the only one that could actually order weed to your house. Yeah. So let's talk about the branding piece. Okay. And also for the customer model or the, the retailer model that we kind of like paused on, I think what we established is that there's like, there's startup costs, then there's your inventory fixed monthly cost. costs, inventory yeah. costs. I guess what I was getting towards is what's the, like the actual room for margin in that business model? Because do you have to sell, you know, how, how do you sell, like, okay, wh- wh- I guess the per unit cost is going to be about 10 bucks that you're selling. Let's say a joint. Depen- it all depends it on depends what, what format yeah. Uh, yeah. of cannabis you're taking, right? So what's your average purchase price? Well, let's just say, uh, just, let's just say we sell to the OCS for 10 bucks. Then they mark it up another 25%, right? Mm-hmm. So what is that? 1250 And then the retailer's probably marking it up between 30, 30 to 50%, depending on what the product is and what store you're in and, you know, what the brand is that they're, they're putting out there. So yeah. it's probably between the 30 to 50% is what the average is for the dispensaries. 
uh, to make on the product that they've purchased from the OCS. So they're in a volume business at retail. Like they oh, need a sell yes, to they earn need that to, man. margin. Yeah, yeah. And especially if somebody doesn't own the property and there's lease and rent on it, then yeah, you need to be selling a lot. And that's where retail is tricky because if you go into any dispensary, 90% of the products are exactly the same. Yeah, and at the same time, I've been into a couple and, and I'm always shocked with how the retail experience is limited to interior design. That's it. Like, and I think that, is that a regulatory restriction? It like is. I can't have an espresso bar weed shop? That's right. You, you can't, can't even it. have a window without a covering to open a retail store for so cannabis. you're selling to the street, but no one from the street can see what see, you're selling. Exactly. Which is antithetical to the retail experience. Exactly. Right. Are you allowed to have, if nothing else, like, if not consumption on spot, like a place for people to sit and read magazines? Uh, you could, but again, is there ROI on it? You're going to have to add an additional 500 square foot that you will not get paid on. Mm -hmm. And they're just people sitting there. And if any consumer isn't the right consumer for you, it could drive away customers. That's what Because I, I haven't seen the genius bar for weed. Like I, I haven't seen someone take that Apple model where uh -huh. you're not, you might go and look at the product. Like in an Apple store, it's a showroom, right? Yeah. And then it's a warehouse in the back. It's mm -hmm. not really that like old school retail where everything's stocked on the shelf and you take one anymore. Um, except for accessories. Yeah. But I haven't seen anyone do that with cannabis. You can't really touch the cannabis until you've bought it. So right. you're, you're really, uh, you know, hoping that the brand has put some good product in there for the most part and yeah. relying on your, you know, the brand equity or the. So let's talk about that. What, yeah. what, what latitude do brands have to build equity? You know what? I, I can say this in the last 10 years. Yeah in the medical, and then last five years almost in recreational, I don't think there's a single brand that has captured loyalty of the consumers. Yeah. There's so Not many products brand. out there too. There's thousands and thousands yeah. of SKUs on the same category, right? So, which is a good and a bad thing. Mm -hmm. Bad thing is, oof, we've spent millions and billions, and I mean, Canopy and Aurora and Tilray have burned like $30 billion altogether, right? And nobody, nobody can say who, what Canopy has in terms of brands. Right. Right? Nobody knows how many brands they got. Aurora, they just launched a brand new brand. So again, nobody has a brand loyalty. So when we were looking at brands ourselves, like what would connect? I think all the 70s and 80s puns on the weed and marijuana has been taken. You know, all the Tommy Chongs and all the, they were all gone. All the celebrities have come in and failed. So for us, we learn from other people's mistakes. We know Okay, there's no brand loyalty. Right. It's all about the names. It's all about the looks, something that connects, right? Yeah. So Dom and Jackson brand, when that was our first brand. Who? Dom Jackson. Dom Jackson. He's got the purple uh, gas mask is what his logo is. But did it, would buyers know him before well, the purchase? No. No, no, no. no. They this just is the guy that owned the four Tokyo Smokes that decided to get into the space. And he was our first client as a brand coming in. So it was literally space. like a graphic design exercise. Pretty much. Yeah. And, and the product and uh, finding exercise. Uh, and right? really, and it really comes down to what we're putting in the back. It's like thumbnails on that? YouTube, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> in a way, that's what it's become. It's yeah. like, how do you make that purchase if everything looks the same and you, and you can't, can't smell it, taste it? Right. Everything's just on your computer screen to make a decision out of, right? Mm -hmm. So what we learned from Dom Jackson being launched into the market is... People didn't know the company name, but they recognized the logo. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. They're like, oh shit, oh, you're the gas guy. 
and people are stopping him in the street when he wears his uh, merch, right? Oh, really? That's where we're like, okay. It's the Wait, l- so is his name the brand? No, Dom Jackson is just a, a made-up, fictitious okay. guy that rolls around looking for good weed, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it, but this, you know, because of that, yeah. the bud tenders at these dispensaries are our, our biggest sales arm in a sense. Right, so, right. you know, we are able to sample to the industry. So, you know, we'll set up events. Sometimes we'll bring them to our growth facility. We'll show them, you know, how we're growing, what the strains are, get them to sample it, and then hope that they're going to relay that information to uh, a cannabis user that comes in looking for a specific product. Who are bud tenders? They're the bartenders. They're the people recommending, hey, this is a new cool product that I've tried. You should try it type thing. So they're essentially, they're the people at the counter when you go into that's a right. yes. Yeah, exactly. That's who, that's who you're going to go to as a consumer, especially a new consumer, and probably ask for though? their advice. They're, okay, and I get this, and I don't want to be like, it's kind of interesting because it's just like your barista at an espresso bar, right? You go to a third wave espresso shop and you ask them about a bean. And they're mm. going to tell you all this crazy stuff about where that bean came from. Yeah. Right. That's not to say that they're earning like $150,000 to be special, specialized knowledge, right? It's not tied to a salary situation. No. Right. However, typically with baristas, you're thinking they're going to be very passionate about coffee to be able to share that knowledge, have that knowledge, be interested in acquiring that knowledge to share it. Yeah. Um, so it's like that kind of interest drives their efficacy in the job. Is that the same thing with bud tenders? They really care about weed? Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. most of them do. I I would say the whole industry uh, in cannabis, like when you look at people, the passion Mm -hmm. is unbelievable. I've never seen this type of passion. Like nutraceuticals, natural health product industry had similar passion because, you know, everybody's learning from their personal experience and trying to create a product that could sell, uh, like solve a lot of the issues. Mm -hmm. You're talking about like creatine and stuff. Could be anything. It could be mushroom <laughs> teas, could be chaga mushroom sure, teas. Like, it's great, right? Yeah. I mean, people learn from their mistakes. Like, I know chaga teas, we got a lot of NPNs for it because pregnant women, they don't want to have caffeine when they're, you know, ovulating and all that. Like, sure. or when they're lactating, they want mushroom teas. It yeah. works well for them, right? Mm-hmm. All of those things coming from personal stuff. You see that in cannabis as well. So, supposed to be a lot of knowledge and care about products that you recommend. Mm-hmm. What we are finding, there's a lot of turnover on the retail. So the butt tenders that you really want, just cycling very, very quick. But are they moving between yeah. different retailers? Yeah, they're going from different retailers or they're retailers, just, or they're in just in coming into the market, realizing it's, you know, not what they're looking for and they get out. Yeah. yeah. And and the other issue, especially here in Ontario, is there's 5,000, OCS wants to put 5,000 products on the shelf. I think last uh Three, four months ago, it was at 3,000 and they're trying to push it up to 2,000. Why are they trying to diversify the I think they're just trying to make the experience for the actual consumer to be able to get as much product as they want. Because a little while ago, I I was hearing this, maybe from you guys, but like this story of of also supply being a problem from the brands that are stocked. Like brands not being able to, or products, product companies not being able to supply enough product to the OCS. Mm. And then also consistency cases, issues. Yep. So yes. the consumer gets very, even more frazzled with what's available. What do they actually want to rely on? Right. Well, what can it. they rely on? That's it. So you, uh, again, you know, there's 5,000 SKUs and there are like 800 new brands because of that reason. Companies bring out a brand, they fail at it miserably. You know, they get bad reviews and they just change the name 
in the new listing process, which is three months down the line, and they just come right back up again with something else, right? But it's the same shit products. Yeah. That's where consumers are like, they don't know what to follow. They don't know what to buy, right? So I think when we were choosing to create our brands, uh, I think we finally sort of agree that, you know, we're not going to showcase the growing side of it. It means nothing to the consumer. Right. All they want is that when they open the jar, it's a good product that they enjoy and they get happy with. Right. So our focus with our, most of our brands is consumer side, which isn't really allowed. So it's more of the education, the the communication, how are we going to tell our story better, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and we're obviously making sure that the grower uh, and the input material that we're buying is at a, at a highest level as possible. We, we just do craft uh, cannabis as well. Mm -hmm. And yeah. craft cannabis being like, you know, small, typically it's about a thousand square foot room, all indoor. And you're getting, you know, really good strains from breeders that have been doing this for a long time. Mm. And, and so, yeah, though we focus on the end consumer from a marketing standpoint, we got to make sure that the product that we're putting into the actual, uh, flower package or pre-roll is, is premium yeah. and, and, and it's priced properly as well. Right. Like that's one of the biggest factors, uh, in cannabis is like, if you overprice by a dollar or two, the velocity of the sale decreases significantly. Significantly. And if mm. your product isn't consistent, then you can basically forget that your brand's going to survive more than six, seven months. Right. And so. right now the biggest driver or at, up until maybe the last couple of months, THC has been the biggest driver. So what customers walk in and they're yeah. like, give me the highest THC product oh, no. for the lowest price. So. You know, then now all of a sudden, it, it's it, a whole different consumer, you know, profile than like the recreational. I want to try something that's a little bit strawberry flavored. Like, that's yeah. it, right? And I, I guess mm. I blame in the sense OCS or other provincial bodies that are purchasing or bringing these new SKUs into the market to be pushing that agenda in the sense that you could bring in 14% THC product, OCS has full say on it. Consumers see it, they might buy it, but they only see the higher THC products. So that's what they're sort of training the market to ask for, right? Well, okay. So on that note, it's very interesting. I've been confused a little bit about this. How come um, we're not seeing, with legalization now being uh, five years, mm -hmm. right, in the rear yeah. view, mm -hmm. um, we haven't seen any kind of provincial-led or federal-led education around this product they've, yeah they've just started ocs okay. just started to i've seen like one or two outdoor um advertisements talking about yeah i guess get to know cannabis yeah, that's, that's their that's, campaign right now because it's been treated almost similarly like the rollout in ontario to liquor right so it's kind of like you don't know it until you learn about it in your own way yeah and there's this weird kind of like stigma about it culturally or historically so it's not part of We'll legalize this thing, but we're not going to really talk about it. It becomes this biased, stigmatic yeah. consumption pattern. And, yeah. and and because of that, the gray market, black market, whatever you want to call thrived, it, has right? thrived. Yeah. Because they're out there advertising it all over the place. Right. So, and you know, if you advertise it as a, a regulated brand, you're getting your your wrist strap, strap uh, you know, yeah, slap, slap on the wrist. Unfair competition exactly. from the black market who have found ways to be... Like literally More, retail, like yeah. here in Toronto for our non-Toronto people, uh, listening to this, watching this, we have stores across the city that I've seen that are, uh, you know, they say, 
Mississaugas of the Credit, which is uh, a community of people that were here as First Nations, you know, in this region, um, saying we're exercising our sovereign right. Yeah. Uh, and and they're selling weed, and I don't know where that weed comes from, but it's definitely cheaper than probably what you'd see. And they have discounts in there that you know, it's like, hey, it's Weed Wednesday, forty percent <laughs> off. Yeah. And yeah. they got DJs on the street, you know, pumping right. tunes, and it's like, how do you compete with that if you're like this, you know? It's hard, man. Brand on an online e-com yeah. site run it, by the government. It really is hard, man. And again, they're exercising their rights. They can see it. They grow outdoors. They have enough, you know, land to grow this on, which they you, utilize. So you can buy a lot of cheap product of uh, native reserves for sure. What I see, though, I think good products do sell well. Like mm-hmm. Carmel, I'll say, is one brand that blows it out like we're looking at their freaking numbers in ontario for the year and they're already past 35 mil so this is a really good product that people actually uh can trust and and believe in they can trust it the consistency has been there now is the quality same that it was the first time no it's not of course it's gone downhill massively however still delights the consumer at the same price level at the same consistency level that tells us people don't really care about at least in my opinion, those n- novel, new, innovative products with, you know, some flavor profile or, you know, you have a gassy strain, but I'll throw in some strawberry flavor in it. That doesn't work. Cannabis, again, is more, is more ritualistic experience right. of consuming cannabis. Yeah. Like if I like my pre-rolls the way I roll it, I, I wouldn't smoke a pre-roll. I'm going to grind it myself, right? That's the ritual of it. Mm-hmm. I think most people are going to go back to that basic stuff. But now you mentioned gum. Uh, and, and let's talk about this kind of like alternate kind of, uh, delivery mechanisms, mm-hmm. uh, confections and stuff like, you know, chew gummies yeah. and gums and drinks like sodas and stuff. Yeah. Uh, are they selling relative to weed Ooh, to smoke? No, not even close. Like they're a f- small fragment of the. Yeah. Beverage the section sale. is under 2% of the overall market. Edibles wow. is what? Maybe 10 no, no, not no, even. No, no, well, again, seven, the, 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 the black market thrives in the edibles uh, okay. because of the amount of THC that you can put into an actual package. Here in Ontario, you can only put 10 milligrams per package. So, mm-hmm. And you can go around and, and buy gray market edibles. Five, you know, 500 milligrams, yeah, 1,000 ridiculous, milligrams. Ridiculous. Like, you, know? you take well, a little bite, you're stoned for days. <laughs> but you you're take... stoned for days. <laughs> exactly. Get stoned for a week. <laughs> and you buy the legal... Wow. Uh, legal product that is edible is 10 milligrams and if your digestive system if your absorption rate in your freaking digestive system isn't good you're not going to feel anything yeah and it costs more i don't touch edibles it does nothing for me right absolutely nothing i don't like drinks either he he, he experiments i'm a flower guy man i stick to my pre-rolls and flour i don't even so the bulk you're telling me that the bulk of the industry is 70 percent is is pre-rolls and flour 70% 70% is people smoking weed. Smoking weed, yeah. yeah. And, and you know, they, they might be smoking it through a bong, through a pipe, through a, a like dryer, you know, vape or vapes, thing, you know? or, or you know, yeah, like a dry vape, yeah. not like a, the typical Cart. oil oil shit vape there. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like for myself, I prefer uh, smoking weed over everything because if I do an edible, it kind of like, I don't know, I feel 
You're high right. without the cause. Well, you know? it's you it's, don't know it's, when it's you're going to get high. high. It's a different high. You don't know when you're going to get high. Yeah. You don't know how it's going to hit you. And then it's like a more of a lethar- lethargic feeling for mm-hmm. myself. It does make you tired that there is something with that consumption format that doesn't give you that euphoric feel that most people want from cannabis. Interesting. Yeah. It's very one trick pony once you get into these beverages and edibles. But see, again, this side of the education on the customer, you know, new customer profiling or, uh, you know, when they walk into a store for the first time and there's all the stigma, they're not going to ask necessarily all these questions right. from no. your bud yeah. tender. Yeah. And you're probably going to go, you know, if you're just a regular consumer, you're going to think, oh, I'll just grab it out of a drink. Right. And if, you know, if it's just If you made don't like with, it, it well, or it doesn't do and anything, that's it. Or like, okay, like, that's it. I'm, I'm done not trying. With, yeah, exactly. Like right. distillate, which is like, you know, pure THC in a sense for, for myself, it kind of just gives me this like airy, you know, almost stupid feeling of a high. Like I, yeah. I just don't enjoy it. So right. that's your first time and you go out and you try a beverage and you feel like that, you're never going to come back and try it again. Yeah. For so the most part. Yeah. So cannabis to me, if it's, you, you isolate those compounds like CBD, THC and all the other ones that they have these days, mm-hmm. it, the moment you isolate, you're killing the cannabis the way you know it. Then you're just going after that API, which is, you know, active pharmaceutical ingredient in a sense where you take that one pill that does that one trick. Right. Right. I think cannabis, they forgot it, is supposed to give you that overall euphoric feel. Entourage effect. Yeah, entourage yeah. effect. Right. And you don't get those with the edibles right now. Hopefully it changes. Mm-hmm. Right. There's good companies doing good R&D on the input materials that will have that euphoric feel to it. But we're not there yet. I think U.S. So it's a, it's, a, it's a byproduct of the combustion process is what we're saying. Yeah, exactly. The byproduct of the combustion process has that entourage effect that you're not just getting the THC, you're getting all the minor cannabinoids in there. And, and because the essential of that, oils. And, and the terpenes. Like right mm-hmm. now, terpenes are, you know, a, a big factor in what how people purchase uh, because certain terpenes give you certain effects. Yeah. And so you can, you know, you know, to simplify things, you've got indica and sativa, sativa being more of a head high, indica being more of a body high, but really what it comes down is what terpenes are in that actual cannabis product is what's going to give yeah. the effects of how you feel. And terpenes basically is just essential oils. So, you know, when you buy those essential oils, when you're sniffing, sure. you know, that's exact same oils that you mm-hmm. have cannabis plants. It's just when you combust it with THC and other cannabinoids they involved with it, that's where the effect is, right? Um, okay, we got just a few more minutes left. Is your farmer here? I don't know. Hey, where is he? Where is he? <laughs> <laughs> and, and just to give you some background on yeah. Daryl, Daryl's been growing, I think, since he's 15, 15 years, years old. old. He's been growing for 20, 20 some odd years. Yeah, this is uh, year 20 now. 20. And yeah. you started at what age? Uh, I was uh, 15. 15. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe you could tell us about that. Yeah, so Daryl, okay, so as a grower... Uh, started your, you were interested in the stuff when you were a teenager? Yeah. You know, uh, honestly it all started, um, with me, um, wanting to grow my own stuff because, you know, at, uh, at 15, you know, you didn't have the disposable income you did, uh, as you do now. And, uh, sure. the only way to get it was to grow it really, you know, and that's kind of how my passion. So uh, that's back when weed was illegal. Yes. Okay. So, uh, um, you yeah. went legit then in the last year. <laughs> I did the last couple of years. I made the transition over to the, uh, the legal space. And, uh, but before that it was, uh, it was a gray area. Um, mm-hmm. it was a medical license, which, uh, oh, okay. so it was, it started in the, like completely, I guess, uh, illegal at the time. And, uh, then they had this program called the MMAR program, 
Um, it was a medical license that they gave uh, people uh, who had, uh, I guess, medical um, needed a medical license in order to obtain uh, cannabis for medical mm-hmm. use. Mm-hmm. So uh, there was a doctor at the time who uh, you could kind of just go see, and he'd write you the prescription for it, and you'd send your doc- uh, your application to Health Canada, and they would give you a license to grow your own plants. So that's kind of how it all started. Awesome, man. Yeah. Um, that was the beginning of our medical program in Canada back in 2002. Yeah. So uh, over the years, uh, it kind of got abused and they uh, they changed the program. It went from the MMAR to like, I think it was like... ACMPR. AC, well, now it's ACMPR, but I think there was like... MMPR. A, MMPR, which yeah. was in between. Yeah. But uh, I still have like, I've been grandfathered my original license. So um, yeah, it's uh, it's been an interesting journey for sure. So as a farmer... Uh, why this particular plant? Um, you know, it's, uh, I mean, it was also a very... grow tomatoes and stuff also? Uh, I do have a home garden. Yeah, we do our vegetables and stuff, <laughs> but, uh, it was more, uh, the, uh, financial aspect was, there was, there was more to it, you know, so, uh, it was lucrative. Mm-hmm. That was a big thing for it. So, um, yeah, that's kind of how, uh... And before you walked in the room, these guys were telling me what a beautiful facility you have. Yeah, so Mill Creek, uh, is a really nice facility. Uh, Phil, uh designed this facility i had it built a couple years ago i came on board with them when they first got licensed um to help them ramp up and scale production Mm -hmm. and uh yeah it's a beautiful facility probably one of the i mean it is the best facility i've ever seen it really is like i have seen in the industry over the last 10 years over 120 130 facilities Mm -hmm. i haven't seen as good of a facility in canada now when you say that you mean okay in terms of like the means of production being excellent but also, I'm 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 going on a ledge here. When you go to a vineyard to taste wine, mm-hmm. is that experience there like the tasting room? Can you even do that? In uh, this we have licenses that will allow you to do it. Uh, I don't know if Mill Creek has that right now. But... Uh, no, so we don't have our uh, our uh, I guess R and D license, yeah. consumption license, uh, not at least yet. Okay. Um, but uh, no, the facility itself, beautiful facility. It used to be an equestrian farm. Um, and then uh, it got transformed into this state-of-the-art facility. Mm. Um, beautiful facility. Everything's redundant in the facility. Um, super uh, well-designed. Um, it's a, it's like the Ferrari of facilities, you know? Yeah, so. you've got AI. Like, they've got AI running in there that uh, allows them to be able to be on their cell phone and, you know, see that, oh, the heat might go up to a certain extent or... You know, you can pretty much, you can do most of the stuff from a remote, a remote exactly. center. It's a controlled right? production environment. Exactly. That's inside, indoor? Indoor, yes. Interesting. So you take an equestrian farm and build out an indoor production facility because of the size of the land, I guess, and then also the access to utilities. Exactly. Um, that's fascinating because, you know, we've had on a previous episode of this show, we've had someone who does like nutrient-dense, um, you know, cropping, all indoor, all AI-driven, um, there's like one person per 10,000 square foot of indoor space kind of thing, yeah. uh, to manage this. And the product quality is phenomenal. And even the way that they had their production facility manu- set up is the plants, once mature, kind of exit the facility on a conveyor belt. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I've seen those before. To be like packaged and distributed all automated. All, oh, the only difference there would be, we cannot do that with cannabis because the moment we do fully automated stuff, mm-hmm. it's not a craft cannabis anymore so that you get a different designation. Okay. That's why we like to touch. Sure. So most of our stuff is handmade, hand packaged type thing, right? So we want to keep that craft designation. Mm-hmm. 
So how how like how much production are you involved with? Like how big is this facility? Uh, so the facility itself is uh, 50,000 square feet. Um, we have nine flowering rooms there, um, just under a thousand square feet each room. So it's a it's a really small batch craft. A lot of love goes into the product. You know, it's the plants are. Uh, Very well taken care of, you know. There's very intimate relationship we kind of have with the plants over there. Do you there. play music in the? Uh, no, we don't no. play music. Um, but it's uh, it gets they get a lot of uh attention, you know. It's uh, I know it's <laughs> a lot of people think uh, they, they see it in the movies and stuff. It's uh, people <laughs> like to play music for the plants. We haven't got that uh, got to that part yet. <laughs> <laughs> we we do have a lot of uh, growers in Canada that do that, by the way. Yeah. 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 Is it a profitable venture? And at what point, what size does it become profitable? If you're, if you're, if someone listening or watching this is thinking about getting into the industry from the grower side, um, especially with automation and you know this kind of like uh, easier production, if you have the capital investment to set up the facilities, like what's your minimum square footage to make it a profitable grow up? Um, I don't think there's a, a minimum. I mean, obviously you need to scale it to a, a point where. Um, The the crop sizes are interesting. Uh, it depends which avenue you want to take. You know, some people want to start a brand. Some people want to just be in the B two B space. Some people want to do uh, export. So, um, they have a license called the micro cultivation license, which gives you I think it's like two thousand one hundred fifty two square feet of canopy space. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty much the entry level I would say for somebody to who wants to get into the space. Say the number again. Uh, two thousand one hundred fifty two square feet. Nice. Yeah. Your basement. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. yeah. We're, we're listening to this in Brampton. Yeah. As long as it hits the compliance regulations, <laughs> I don't think your basement's going to do that. But yeah, usually the property has to be zoned uh, commercial in order to, uh, or, or agricultural to uh, be allowed um, allowed to have the license. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, last couple questions. We're 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 done for time here, but unfortunately, sorry to cut this short on the growing side. <laughs> um, vertical integration for new brand development. So if you guys are partnering up. Uh, on the growing side, and you know, obviously, uh, Wellcan is doing the packaging and, and product stuff, and then you've got this great kind of like access to market mm -hmm. um, business development side of the business. Is that something that, as a system, works exclusively to you know offer opportunity to brands? Honestly, yeah. at this point, absolutely does. <clears throat> We've launched three, four brands that have the the brand owners have no licenses. Uh, they have some inclination, some idea what the industry is, but they just want to try it out. Sure. So when we did it, we, you know, partner with the cultivators. We know where the product's coming from. We're packaging everything. We're sourcing all the supplies and everything. But so, even in terms of designing product from scratch, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So this is basically we got the money. We have an idea. Can you help us bring this to market? Now, it's the easiest way to get into the market. First of all, right. Least capital intensive, asset light model. You want to come in, you can try it out for a little bit of money. If it does well, continue on. If it doesn't, you can actually leave. So right? we've all heard of software as a service. This is a weed as a service. Was. Was. There you go. Like it. Yeah. Awesome, yeah. guys. Sorry to cut this short, no. but it was a brilliant time uh, chatting with you about the whole 360 of the cannabis Great market in Canada. Uh, we'll definitely involve you in future conversations. I think there's a lot more to dig into. And uh, of course, for our audience listening or watching, if you have any additional questions about these topics, like feel free to share. Uh, there'll be links in the descriptions below wherever this is posted. Yep. Um, and uh, we could do a follow-up session if uh, our audience is interested in it. That Sound sounds good? great. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you very awesome. much. Thank you. Cheers, man. Cheers. Pleasure. All right. Rahul. Cheers. Mike.
Kasim. Wicked. Thank you yeah. so much. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Thanks, guys.